We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, you're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast bringing you big ideas from the small island of Tasmania. You know, we like to keep it Tassie focused and we have that in store for you today. And as always, our show is proudly supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium youth station. So go to edgeradio.org.au for more information about the good things that they're up to. My name is Dr. Neve Chapman and I'm joined by my co-host, Mibu Fisher. And we'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawa and Pakanak people as we record on Lutruita. We also acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. So today we'll be talking about an innovative idea that originated right here in Tassie by a proud Northwesterner, our expert guest, George Polis from Janik. So maybe can you tell us a little bit more about George and uh, kick us off for the show? Yeah, sure, Neve. Um, so George is the CEO and co-founder of Janik Syringe, a simple yet innovative adaption to how syringes are used in delivering medications to patients in high-stress settings. Janik was the winner of the Minister's STEM Innovation of the Year Prize at the Tasmanian STEM Excellence Awards. Just so our listeners know, George is a paramedic by trade, and I'd like to welcome you onto the show today. Hi, Nebu, and hi, Neve. Thanks for having me on, and I hope that the knowledge and information that I get to speak about and share with you may encourage someone that's got an idea about the journey and and what's actually involved and I hope they get some good um, content out of it. Great. We'll just kick off with um, what is JNIC and how did it get started? So I'm a paramedic by by trade. I've spent quite a bit of time in Queensland and in Tasmania as well. So I grew up in Tassie and like most Tasmanians, um, went away, uh, got my skills and come back. And along the, the journey... Um, I noticed that being in a in a high stress medical environment with a lot of chaotic situations being involved, one of the most critical parts of emergency care is, is administering medication in a safe um, manner to the patient. So you've got to ensure you've got the right drug, the right quantity, um, the right dilutant. And um, we we had a bit of an ad hoc approach to it, but I didn't realise how big a problem it was till later on in my career when I um, went to start a shift and. Um, the, the night crew had just come in and inadvertently I said, look, how was your night shift? And they said, look, we had a bit of a, a crappy night. We've um, basically gone to administer a drug, which was a, a sedative, but um, the patient really required some, some pain relief. So the outcome in that situation was that the, the patient would have re- received the wrong medication and it would have had quite an adverse effect on the patient under the, under the circumstances. Now, I thought that was a one-off thing, but during my career, I realized that it was quite a frequent event that occurred. And it was quite concerning to me that no one had actually addressed the problem, hence where Janik was born. thought there's got to be a better way of doing this, seeing that such a critical process in the whole patient care continuum, that that it needs addressing and it needs to be a safer practice for both the practitioner and and the patient. And that's where the idea was born. That sounds like a really excellent approach. And I always think innovative people are always kind of flabbergasted when, you know, you start to think, oh, that's just a one-off problem. And then you realize it's quite systemic and then instantly really motivated to do something about it. But can you tell me some of the types of things that contribute to errors 
in administering a medication in that type of high stress situation. So for our listeners, imagine, you know, you're arriving as a paramedic to a scene. There's maybe a lot of competing yeah. factors. What do you actually, the steps you need to go through to give someone a medication and where could it go wrong? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So I'll try and paint a bit of a picture. So it's three o'clock in the morning. You're at a road traffic accident. You've got multiple patients. You've got lots of dangerous hazardous materials around and, and you've got possibly a, an audience with the public attending. You've got police, you've got fireys, and you've got all these other paramedics and you've got patients screaming and God knows what else is going on. So that's the picture. And in this, scenario you've got to then use these medications which potentially some of them can have catastrophic consequences if you deliver the wrong patient the wrong medication so that's potentially what could happen on any day any shift any time so we we try to come up with a a better process than what's actually occurring there's industry standards and there's guidelines but there's nothing set in stone and there's no real gold standard as far as delivering the medications that we've identified as interchangeable with Janex syringe. For those of us listening at home, um, you know, the usual process like you've described, George, is like you're presenting to somewhere where it's really high stress, there's a lot of competing needs on what you're trying to focus on. But the general process of administering a medication to somebody is they're stored collectively, you take it out of the sample box or like you snap it off from like a pill packet, let's imagine, and then you insert that into a syringe. And that usually those things may not be labeled, but it doesn't necessarily stay in the syringe. And then you use that syringe to give it to the person. So through all those steps, the things that you need to know is what medication have I just given? What was the dose? And which patient did I give it to? And it's really hard to capture all those things because essentially you dispose of the syringe and you dispose of the medication thing. But what it looks like Janik has done is created a way so that that medication always stays inside the syringe so like it can't get back out it's like one of those closing over valve type things um so to make sure that you can always keep that together and say okay this patient has had that medication so when we're giving them more medications at the hospital for example it's really easy for us to understand what's already been done it's amazing to me that this uh, that there wasn't a, a more kind of autonomic or like autonomous way of recording that patient information onto those vials instantly so can you tell us about like what JNIC is and how it's innovated this area yeah yeah absolutely Nevin. i totally acknowledge what you're saying i think we sent through the memorandum of sale which is a fairly sensitive document that took us quite a long time but i'll get onto that later on but on the front page there's a, a, fa- a famous quote from a trailblazing pioneer of computing her name was grace hopper and she said the most dangerous phrase to improvement is we've always done it this way and, and that's certainly what we've encountered along the way um why hasn't why do we do it like this and, and we challenge that that narrative. So what we've gone and, and done is we've got an idea. So essentially I started off with an idea and I thought, well, what do you do? I had no idea on how to take an idea from a thought process into a commercialization type product. So obviously the first thing I did was went research, like has this been done before? So I did a lot of research online. I couldn't find anything. I even started like meddling in the in the patent area, which I had no idea about. But initially I thought this idea should be good enough to possibly put a, a patent on and I've contacted a patent office and I talked to a patent lawyer and the process is initially when you try and protect an idea um, you get a provisional patent which is called a PCT which is a patent cooperation treaty that, that's what PCT stands for it's legalese as far as patent lawyers go but initially that protects that idea and it goes through a search process and 
essentially what happens is anyone that's had a, a patent similar to you gets flagged and then your idea gets examined to, next to their um, patented idea. And if there's any crossovers or, or correlation, it, it then becomes that your idea is not a novel and unique idea. So then you've got to challenge the examiners and it, it's quite a lengthy process and it can cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. And remembering that each country that we've patented, we had to go through that whole process um, with each patent that we, we had registered. And at the moment, we've got um, seven patents registered. Yeah, right. That sounds fascinating. And also like a really complex process to navigate. So could you tell me a bit about the way that you approach just even developing a solution to the problem? So I think Jane yeah. is essentially where the medicine you want to administer goes into the syringe directly in a way that it can't be removed whereas yeah. the old process yeah. was this kind of cumbersome process of matching things up but really hard to keep those things together necessarily yeah absolutely Neve. it's it's quite a, a challenging um, process i mean like i explained that environment with some um, like a three o'clock in the morning motor vehicle accident but you've got all these ad hoc ways of identifying medication we, we actually had a standard where we were breaking the ampules and drawing up the medication and taping the broken ampule onto the syringe. Now, while, while you've got identification, you've also got a sharps wrist as well. And, and then we've got like, we had a process where we'd use blank labels and we'd write on the, on the, on the syringe and sometimes people's writing, I mean, Swahili and most of the time, so you're writing in a hurry, so you can't really identify what's in there. So with the idea initially, um, we needed a prototype, I suppose. So we went to a design house. Now, this is probably a bit foreign to, to listeners, but a, a design house is where you go and brainstorm an idea and they try and come up with a concept on paper and hopefully the further on the, the process goes, they, they usually have design files and they call them CAD designs. So a CAD design is essentially like a blueprint for, for your design so someone could go and then make that product based on those dimensions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So the design house we um, engage with was a motivated and, and a leader in Australia within design, they, they've got a lot of companies that they design projects for. So they're called DNI, based in Melbourne. We work with a really dynamic group, uh, that was Claire and myself, and um, we come up with a really good design. There were several designs that they, they put forward to us and we had to pick the best one that we thought fitted the scenario or, or, the, or the product that we wanted to ultimately um, bring to market. So we come up with a design. It's, it's, it sort of looks like a little sharps container. I don't know if you've been in that industry where you've, you know, your sharps containers, you dispose all your medical sharps in them. They're a big yellow box with a, a lid on top with all these sort of surrogated uh, leaflets coming down. So you, it goes in and kind of comes out. Well, essentially that was sort of like what we designed our concept around. So it took quite a, a few months um, to get that process uh, complete. And then we had to actually physically have a product. So DNI engaged with another company uh, in Southeast Asia and they produced a prototype through injection molding. So we had one workable prototype, we liked that. So we went back and said, can we please have some more for some show and tell that we wanted to display the company. Yeah, right. That sounds like a really interesting step. And I really like that, you know, you took something that you were familiar with, with this Sharps container or, you know, I've always compared a Sharps container to like a post box. You put something in, but it can't come out again. Um, yes, yeah, um, exactly and what it was. Yeah, and I think that's really great that you've taken something that, you know, is known for being a safety measure and then applied it to a current mode of practice that was 
you know, less than satisfactory, let's say. So we're going to be talking to George in just a moment more about the steps from idea to implementation with JNIC. Stick with us for just a moment. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we are talking about innovative solutions to safely administer patient medications developed right here in Tasmania. My name is Mubu Fisher, and I'm joined by Dr. Neve Chapman, along with our expert guest, George Polis, CEO and co-founder from JNIC. So just before the break, you were explaining to us the pattern process, and then you got like prototype. prototype. What happened after that? We found it fairly difficult in Australia and especially from Tasmania. I mean, we're on a little island and, and there's not a big ecosystem similar products in Tasmania, but we found that Tasmania is very much punching above its weight as far as entrepreneurial people and, and business ideas and innovation. And, and Australia is a, as a whole, uh, we found and through our experiences, is very innovative and Australia definitely has a, a very unique ecosystem and we needed to tap into that somehow we both put our heads together and there was a um, incubator so australia's got these amazing ideas but there's no way to sort of build these fledgling fledgling companies and innovative ideas up to a business or, or a commercial enterprise so we were lucky enough to enter into a program which was called the actuator so it was a medtech incubator so they had a lot of nominations from people that really needed help to get off the ground. So essentially what it was, it was an 18-month long process where you were pretty much mentored along the whole way. So there was quite a lot of milestones that you had to achieve. And uh, we, we actually thought we were really too ready before we went in and we had no idea that we didn't know what we didn't know. We had a bit of an idea like you just take a market, uh, take an idea and someone's going to buy it, but it just doesn't happen in that way. You've actually got to build a lot of value into your into your product and in, into your um, brand. And that requires a lot of effort, uh, time and, and, and a lot of strategy. So we were successful. We were the first um, company that was accepted into the actuator. And w- what that did was open up our eyes to what is around and, and definitely increase that network of, of people and, and persons and, and connections within that space. And um, we, we were very honoured. I mean, there was some really unique companies that were first taken on and, um, and a lot of great people and great innovation. Some of them were definitely ahead of us as far as their knowledge and, and experience. But there were some novice people in there as well. So we sort of felt a bit out of water, but um, we worked really hard to ensure that we we were acceptable in that in that level so what we did we basically put a a plan like our business plan was just absolutely munched (laughs) and put through the incinerator and we had to start from scratch so we started rebuilding again and um, that took a lot of effort so we obviously had our prototype we needed a business plan we needed connections and we needed the knowledge and expertise which the actuator provided us to to go to the next level and what, what the next level is, essentially, is just because we've got a prototype and a business plan, we've then got to go and, and do a lot of market research. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the whole process about bringing an idea to market is you're, you're trying to de-risk the risk for your investors. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. And obviously, bring it to, to a position where someone or some entity, company, would come along and, and see the value in you and and, and possibly offer you a, a buyout, which in business terms is an exit strategy. Obviously, you start, but you want to end. So 
the start is the thinking of the idea and the, the end's the exit where you hopefully walk away with the knowledge that you've succeeded and your, your product is in the market. Yeah, that we, sounds we like really re- challenging and left field to the training a paramedic <laughs> would receive. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I've heard of MedTech yeah. actuators, so that's really awesome that you benefited from that guidance and mentorship. I just wonder, like, what are some of the challenges you encountered in that process or like yeah. uh, some of the experiences that you maybe didn't anticipate in terms of like trying to get that buy-in from the market or like set yourselves up as something that's really genuinely viable for that exit strategy? Obviously, we need capital and, and capital's money. So we've got to um, look at ways of, 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 of getting money. Without money, we don't have patents and we don't have trademarks and we don't have prototypes and, and we don't have money for travel, et cetera, et cetera. So um, fundraising is a massive area. And obviously, uh, it's not just me. Um, it's in JNEC. There's, there's Claire. Claire. Claire's actually the CEO. I'm the CTO. So I look after the, the patents and the, and the technical aspects. Claire does the financing and, and, and does a lot of exit strategy type uh, conversations with, with um, our existing partners. And it's a shame Claire's not here because she's put a lot of work into this, but uh, she's out sailing at the moment. And um, that's one of the pastime things. And um, yeah, she's been, um, she's been awesome. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for women in this space as well. And Claire's definitely navigated as well. So fundraising is a process where you, you literally offer part of your company to someone to come in and invest in. And who did we target? Well, we targeted a lot of people that we knew within our network. So we had like pretty much like a bit of an oversubscription of people that wanted shares. Obviously, when you when you sell a share, you 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 have a base price, which is on the X amount, uh, say ten dollars a share, and people buying at that. And obviously, the, the the end game is to get to an exit, and you hopefully multiply that that investment because they've taken the risk on for you. So we also um, also had some venture capitalist funding and that's simply like a, a, a larger investment firm supplies you with capital money and they obviously like the concept and they believe in the team enough that they're willing to take that risk. So that was a, a big injection of funds for us and we really springboarded off that and, and that led us into um, obviously going into an accountant's office and saying, look, we want to produce some equity for our shareholders. So um, obviously that's what happened. And, and that was the, the fundraising aspect of it. We did a, a couple of rounds of fundraising and with startups like us, I mean, we're, we're always looking at other investors, but we're lucky that we're a small enough tight knit team that um, we, we don't have a lot of expenditure. A lot of our, our, our money goes into research and development. And we're fortunate enough that we don't have a lot of burn um, we do have expenses, like, you know, the computers and the lights have always got to keep on. But um, as far as um, a burning for our cash, it's, it's very targeted on critical needs. We, we don't have a, a, like a massive overhead that we've got to keep budgeting for. That's really interesting, George. It's really nice to hear you talk so highly of your team members. How important has it been to have the right team and for you and Claire to work together as co-founders? Teams, everything needs. Um, if you haven't got a good team, you, you don't really have a, a strategy. Um, you don't have a clear way path, or clear pathway forward. If, you, if you're not working off the same hymn sheet, it, it's very hard to get things done because it, it's a it's a process where there's a timeline and there's targets. With our team, there's there's Claire, myself, and we've also got Rob, Rob Goulet. So Claire and Rob have all uh, have also had experience 
experience like pre-existing entrepreneurial space. Um, Claire founded a medical company that provided medical services to um, events and Rob goes out and his company EvoMed um, based in Tasmania. So th- they go out and source opportunities from overseas and, and all these like medtech shows and he comes back, brings them in and licenses them off. So he's, he's done really well and it's been a revelation getting him on. He looks after the marketing and strategy for us. We work together really closely. Uh, we're always having regular meetings. We're always collating and applying information to our, to our investors. We, we do it on a quarterly basis at the moment, but as things ramp up, we'll probably look at doing monthly updates because things are going to be moving quite fast. And we're actually in that space now where we've increased our value because of all the background work that's been going on with the patents, the trademarks, the prototyping, all the research and development that goes on in the background. We've actually got ourselves in a position where we've got some pretty mature conversations happening at the moment with international companies that are interested in in a licensing um, arrangement with us. It's really exciting and, and promising for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like it's been a real learning curve to get there, but that you've really supported each other along the way. So stick with us where we'll be talking to George in just a moment about how each of us could unlock our inner entrepreneur. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and we are talking with local entrepreneur, CTO, and co-founder of JNIC, George Polis. My name is Mibu Fisher, and I'm joined by Dr. Neve Chapman. So, George, would you describe yourself as entrepreneurial? Yeah, yeah, I, I do love it. I absolutely love it. It's really like setting a challenge for yourself, and this is probably one of the most challenging environments and probably one of the most challenging things you can do, bringing a medical device to, to market. The, the reason that it's so hard, I mean, people have gone to market with a pet rock and put some eyes and a nose and a bit of hair on it. I mean, that's easy to do. I mean, as long as the market accepts it, you can put that on any shelf. But with a medical device and being in the medical realm, it's, it's highly, highly regulated. It's safety, safety, safety. And, um, it takes a, uh, a, a lot of bureaucratic red tape to cut through. You've, you've got to make sure that the, the TGA sets a, a very high standard, a very high bar, and you've got to have a lot of documentation and the, and the product has to be pretty well perfect for, for them to accept it. And it's not just the TGA. I mean, you've got the FDA in, in the USA and you've got the CE mark in, the, in, in Europe. So, these are all highly regulated markets and that's why it takes so much time to bring a medical device to market because it's so tightly regulated and the reason it's tightly regulated is because it's patient safety that's ultimately at risk and we certainly don't want patients being exposed to unsafe medical devices. Yeah, I always find it fascinating to think about, you know, yours essentially is quality improving something that already exists on market, but it's very hard to have the opportunity to prove that. And I find it fascinating in terms of medical regulatory frameworks in that you can prove equivalence. So let's say you're a blood pressure manufacturer or whatever. You can say this device is the same as the last one, mostly. We've just changed one or two things. Then you don't have to go through the same rigmarole. Mm But for new, truly innovative things like what you're doing, George, it's really hard and there's a lot of steps. And I think that that can really be quite challenging for early businesses or early ideas to progress. What kind of skills do you think were needed from both you and Claire? Because it really sounds like there is a high level of resilience and perseverance, but also, you know, the problem solving required for the idea in the first place. 
So I, I don't know if there's an actual skill set you come with. I, I think you've, you've got to learn to sink or swim. And as a team and a nimble little team like, like Janik is, we're quick to react. And, and we can change course on the on the drop of the hat. So we're lucky that way. If you could imagine a larger company, they, they would um, they'd be able to turn, but it'd be a lot slower. I, I suppose a, a small startup like us, I suppose our skill set revolves around um, obviously trust and initiative and hard work and yeah. and just never stopping. Like don't let fail, don't write fail down anywhere because that's not what we want to do. I mean, the way to success is slow and steady. There's, there's no elevators to success you've got to take the stairs and there's a lot of steps involved in those stairs if i was talking to my young self now at the start of this journey what would i tell myself i'd say well you need a lot of a lot of people to do this you just can't do it by yourself so network's important a network is extremely important the people that we interact with all the time you, you just don't know who these people know and that, that's now understanding and our experience with the people in our network like someone knows someone else that can do this and they can do that and you know you might meet an investor through you know someone that is making a coffee for you at your station or something it's, it's a really bizarre and exciting realm to be in this, this um, entrepreneurial world. I, I really enjoy it and um, and I don't know if this will be my last time I mean I can obviously take a lot of knowledge from this and apply it to maybe the next project but i think we better get this one done first and um <laughs> i think probably one of the wisest things that um, i could probably tell someone is get a really good mentor and and someone that you can refer to uh, when you're having problems and you don't understand the processes and and who would you look for in a mentor possibly someone that had a, a run at business and has been successful at something i mean not all businessmen are successful and business women but it's probably the ones that fail end up being the most successful eventually Go, go, try and find someone that, that's been through this process and has a really good understanding. And usually you'll find that the business is very interrelated. There's a lot of concepts that are the same and constant. So obviously having a business plan, having a, a plan to succeed, um, having a way forward and an exit strategy is really important and, and having a good mentor will make you understand that it's a process and it's a carefully thought out strategic process at that. That sounds awesome. I also really love some of the like really strong themes coming through from like you're clearly passionate about it um, and just about the, the whole approach, but also really resilient and very dynamic as a whole team. You know, you're responsive to the changing kind of requirements being placed on you or to the feedback you've received. And it just sounds like really fostering that entrepreneurial approach right from the outset, which I think is awesome and very inspiring to know that, you know, it's happened from a born and bred local Tassie idea and person. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Science. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We certainly love bringing you science-ready content and shining a light on the awesome stuff that's happening here on our small, innovative island. If you want, you can check out our previous episodes by looking for That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services. Until next time, my name's Neve Chapman. I'd like to thank my co-host Nibu Fisher and our expert guest, George Polis. Thank you and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. 
GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.